My name is Mike, and this is the State of Mind podcast at Radio Regent Park. And we are late today, and that is absolutely my fault. I forgot the pass to the building at home, so I was here with my guest right about to walk into the building, and I said, oh my God, I'm such a bum. I forgot the pass, which is totally old behavior for me, and had I not had such a relaxing couple weeks, I would have had a full-on meltdown, panic attack, anxiety attack, and I would have been so critical of myself. But because I've been taking care, that part of me is not in control right now. So my apologies if you're listening, and uh, we're about to get started. So today on the podcast, we have Jeff Ricely. Um, he's a interesting man, and I'm going to let him explain to you why. Um, and we're going to be talking about uh, his journey with mental health, with entrepreneurship, uh, his work in sales, leading sales teams and training them, and what he's up to today. So I hope everybody had a good holiday, that you're rested, that you're taking care of yourself. And I'm going to turn it over to Jeff to say hello and introduce himself. So, hey, Jeff, what's up? Hey, Mike. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah. Um, bit of a mental health day, a, a test for both of us, which is good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's been uh, excited to get 2019 off the ground because, as you know, 2018 was definitely a bit of a, a, bit of a roller coaster. Some good things, some ups and downs, but... Uh, Learned a lot. It was, it was, it was a great year um, to work on myself personally, um, up to all sorts of different things. So I guess may as well start with what happened in 2018 sure, and, and, and where I'm at, uh, at today. So yeah, so, so my name's Jeff, uh, Jeff Risley. I've been in sales for the last um, 10 years, building and managing sales teams, um, a lot of work within the, the startup space as well. Um, the last startup I was working at was a social media analytics company, um, and we were we were doing some exciting things, but unfortunately got absolutely crushed by the Cambridge Analytica Facebook um, wow. dispute with uh, all of the data leakage and, and what Facebook was doing. And given that we were heavily re- reliant on their their API, it was not so great for for our software. What's what's API? It's just essentially what. Facebook has built out so um, different software companies can access data and right. start building out different um, softwares based off of like the the data that they get from from, from Facebook. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it was a great learning experience, and then from there, I was uh, the the company wound down, and we I was in a position where I was like, what what should I do next? Should I start? looking for a new uh, a new job do i want to start my own thing so i spent the next sort of this happened back in in april spent the next um couple weeks looking for a job and then i realized um it's probably about time that i've made enough money for other people it's uh it's time to start working for myself um and i was just in the process of launching my own sales consulting company which was uh which was exciting and um as as you know something i, I was life threw me a, a bit of a curveball and um, over the Canada Day long weekend, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. So this mountain of entrepreneurship got a little bigger. Um, so that was uh, that was that was a wild experience. It was randomly just at the gym, didn't feel so so good, and um, went went and saw the doctor right away. And all of a sudden, it was diagnosed with the next week and into surgery two weeks later. And then it was about a six-week recovery from, re- recovery process. But it was great from a mental health standpoint. Um, it really gave me the time to take a lot of – to spend some, some time reflecting on, on what's important to me, where I want to go, um, and really learned about a lot of the different things that I was working in, the things I liked about working in sales was actually applicable to what I was going through in in terms of dealing with cancer and and it, it, it was a, it was a good learning experience for me but it was also I think I went into the in, into the treatment with a lot of skills that I picked up from working in a high intense sales environment um, that helped me manage the the whole treatment and the process of getting better a lot a lot better 
Wow. Can you, I'm curious about how you say, so you're working out and then all of a sudden you don't feel good. Um, was it really out of the blue like that? And what was sort of the physical symptoms? I guess because this is important too in terms of men and their mm-hmm. um, testicular and uh, what's the the bum cancer called? Um, prostate cancer. Prostate, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I had a friend who I went through prostate cancer when he was like 25 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so how does that come about and what what was the discomfort or what? Yeah, so yeah. so it was completely unnoticeable, um, and and the only reason why I noticed it was I was I think I was doing squats at the gym. Um, it was just like a really passive discomfort um, in the the nether region that we'll <laughs> we'll we'll use. Um, so I initially just thought that I had had strained my groin um, very slightly, but then when I went home and, and gave a quick check down there, things felt tender. Yeah, and then. So right after, right away, I went to the the doctor. Um, so if you have any discomfort, you should go to the yeah, doctor no right kidding. away, because um, I managed to catch it extremely early. Um, and we have one of the best hospitals in Toronto, the Princess Margaret Hospital, when it comes to dealing with cancer and testicular cancer specifically. Um, so not to not to, um, I guess, take away from what it's like for other people in terms of managing and going through cancer. Um, a lot of the things that I learned during the treatment in terms of how professional, how the Princess Margaret was always two or three steps ahead of the treatment, um, it really helped me manage my own mental health, knowing that I knew what was to come as opposed to being left with right. my own anxiety or depression to, to kind of that limbo phase where it lets your mind kind of, kind of go a little nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that I did um, was because I had no idea, apparently testicular cancer is, is prime time for guys is 25 to 35, and then it jumps back up after wow. after 60. Um, so I had no idea. Mm-hmm. None of my friends had any idea, and I just used it as a learning experience. So I was like, hey, like let's make the most of this situation. Um, let's tell as many people as we can, friends, family, anyone that I spoke to about it, even just passive acquaintances, I'd always bring it up because you never know if it, if it could help and, and help someone catch, catch it early as well. Um, so it's good that, that, that vulnerable vulnerability was a big piece. Cause I think I opened up to a lot of people and as a result, I had all sorts of people checking in and a combination of the the, the hospital and sort of the, the network and social network that I had around me. Um, it was, is is good. And I got lucky. I caught it early. So, yeah, that's awesome. And so then, um, while in hospital, you were comforted, I guess, by the, as you said, the quality of care from princess Margaret by being open and sharing things with people. And I think it is an example in all areas of health, uh, but I think specifically when it comes to mental health, this is the bridge that we're all trying to cross and why we're having this conversation is that when we open up and, I guess, ask or share things with the world, generally the response is really positive or at least it's comforting or you can find comfort through asking and talking about things. And for some reason we're still under the impression that it's the opposite. Um, And, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like sitting in a hospital, um, either about to enter surgery for cancer or post, uh, but your whole um, nervous system and everything inside your body is probably on edge. And the health benefits of feeling safe and cared for are incredible um, and really helpful. And it also goes there's a parallel as well with mental health. And so when people are scared and nervous and anxious and they feel, I guess, maybe supported and cared for, the nervous system calms down. And it's a sort of a maybe a blind or an unnoticed benefit of being open and honest about what's going on with you. So anyone out there, um, there's something you could potentially learn from that. Um, yeah, but, anyway. but, but yeah, no, I think it, 
on on top of that, it kind of reinforced um, sort of the mentality I had towards managing sales teams and and now as I move more into running my own sales consulting company and working with very various companies that are accelerating and growing and adding all sorts of people um, this whole idea of um, retention and 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 creating a, a good culture within within the workplace is is kind of reinforced by the place by the by the piece that um, if you want to read five dysfunctions of a team it talks about it a little bit in there um but the easiest and best possible way to to build trust with with anybody whether it's a customer whether it's your colleagues whether it's your friends is to be vulnerable it's there's there's something really powerful about just saying lifting up your shirt and saying (laughs) hey this is who i am this is kind of what i deal with on a on a daily basis and this goes back to mental health um and especially that I've sort of the sales teams that I've worked with and um, the sales environment in general, it's it's a highly competitive culture. And just through playing sports growing up, through the competitive natures of careers in general, um, from a mental health standpoint, it really forces us to subdue these ideas of it's okay to be vulnerable with, with our peers, our friends, our colleagues. Um, because it's that idea that we think we're weak and as a result of being quote unquote weak or which is totally untrue whatsoever, um, we're not going to get that promotion or our, our managers or bosses or all these people that we work with are, aren't going to look at us the same way. Um, I know, I know one thing for me was I had a really great manager, um, two managers, Ryan, they're both, both named Ryan at a a two, (laughs) two, two companies ago. Um, and the, the, the first time that, and and to, to backtrack, they both Mm -hmm. were very supportive in terms of building a a sales culture from a, that was, that helped people with mental health and kind of that anxiety and stress associated with sales. But I still remember the first day that, um, when I was calling in quote unquote sick, how different that was compared to when I was calling in to say, I need a mental health day. That one little difference is is huge because when you're calling in quote unquote sick and you're afraid to share the stress, the anxiety, the pressure that you're dealing with at work, mm-hmm. for me, I found that it only made me more anxious because I was like, crap, I just lied to my boss. Now I'm at home. I'm like stressing out. Like, should I be working? Am I actually really sick? And I kind of like took on this idea of a sick role, which isn't actually the case. It was, I needed to take care of my mental health. And the second time when I called in and it's like, I need a mental health day after understanding after both the, the two Ryan's opened up to say, it's okay to talk about these things. Um, it was a completely different experience because then focused on myself, meditated that day. I did the things that I really enjoyed doing all the things that I knew could reset, um, my mental health and put me in a state of mind where I could go back the next work ne- next day and be functioning at a hundred percent. It was completely different. And it's just a, a, a small difference that I, I don't think a lot of people recognize within the, within the workplace. Yeah, it is a, it's subtle and it's, I think, I often have this picture in my head, people sitting around a table and the bubble above their head saying, I wish we could talk about this. I wish I could say this. I wish I could say this. And then another person on the other side saying, I wish they would just say this, but we can't. And nobody wants to say anything, but everybody wants to. And it's so, I guess, typical of humans um, that when somebody says it, so as you said, when your boss says it's okay to talk about this there's just an instant relief just in the acknowledgement that something is okay and something that you don't have to hide. You don't have to do this. And I think there's lots of evidence that suggests when we do open up and say things and when these things are okay to talk about the benefits of it are far more than the maybe presumed costs of allowing people to take a day off or something like that. For, for, for sure. And just, and just building on that point, it's, it goes back to the idea that I think a lot of people have themselves and then they have their, their work selves, right. um, which takes a lot of work to, to create and 
protect every day that you're you're at work and there's there's something extremely nurturing and something attractive about something about someone being so genuine and vulnerable and open about their emotions in terms of how they're feeling um that it, it like i said goes back to that idea of trust where it builds that uh, that culture of trust within within the workplace within a sales team where people become to f- begin to feel that it's okay to open up, open up about these things and it's it's crazy what what that change can do to to help improve performance and and just the state of mind in general yeah yeah it really is amazing um one uh, i remember in the past speaking to you, you gave an analogy of um university students and exams and how they're prepared for that and how that relates to mental health can you share that with us because i think that's helpful for people to hear yeah definitely um so that's a that's a that's a big um a big kind of analogy i realized or metaphor um when i started to explore this idea of sales and mental health um a little closer and it's this whole idea that when you're in school or university or college, what, whatever level you're in, um, you could be given an exam or a test that's worth up to 100% of your grade, 75%, whatever it may be. A, a big portion is is being weighed on how you perform on this test. And the school will will will, will give you the quote unquote process. So if you go to if you go to class every day, you listen to the professor, you do your homework, you do the assignments you're very likely to do well and pass that exam. Um, but you're not going to get where, where I think the academic system in general falls short. And they're doing a better job now as, as mental health becomes more of a, there's less stigma around it, especially within schools. But when I was going to school, there was, there was no support to help the students, help someone like myself deal with the, the stress, the anxiety, the pressure leading up to that exam. Um, and I was just, on an island. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know what, what, what I could do. And, and I did okay in school. I did not bad and passed the tests and all that stuff. But you'd be leading up to this highly stressful point in your life, this test, and the schools were leaving students completely underprepared, um, which, is, which is an interesting dynamic because mm-hmm. you'd think that if you, you focused on that mental health piece, most students would do better and as a result make the school look better um (laughs) yeah no which is important but then but then again you'd have the you have a week off for midterms or you'd have two weeks or multiple months off if it was over the summer and as a final exam to to really decompress from that whole event that highly stressful event and i started to think about sales and i was like wow this this is happening in sales where whether you're on a monthly target, a quarterly target, an annual target, um, salespeople have this pressure to perform every single day. And sure, you might be given the scripts or the the training and the coaching from your manager to to do well, but what happens when 20 people tell you no on the phone or a deal falls through last minute or you, you missed your target? No one, at least from, from my understanding, is, is within sales teams, within sales organizations, are really set up to offer that support to their sales team. And to compound that even even more, targets are meant to be challenging. So most salespeople don't hit their targets until the final few days. So rather than having a week off to decompress or multiple months off to decompress like you would in school, you might have a weekend or a couple days, which is usually spent partying or, or drinking which is not not good for your your meta, mental health and you're back at it you're thrown back into this mental health uh sorry into this stressful workplace environment this sales environment and it's it's why a lot of salespeople burn out and you see that turnover and people not quote-unquote being fit for sales which which actually isn't their fault in in my opinion it's it's more on the organization right and maybe how does how does the acknowledgement of it and maybe the uh, process of supporting people in those, I guess, systems or in those cycles, how does that start happening? And how do you, like, how is your work 
sort of starting to fill those gaps or creating mm-hmm. solutions to that kind of thing. Yeah, so so the consulting piece is all about providing better processes so the sales reps have the tools and sales teams have the tools to perform more effectively. Um, the other thing that I know we, we're, we've spoken about and, and what we're trying to work on is is really creating this colossal shift of, um, in reality, a salesperson isn't just a salesperson. Um, the way I view a salesperson is the star athlete of any sports team. If you think about it, they're the ones customer facing. They're the ones that are being tracked and monitored on their performance and based on their performance every single day. Um, they're the ones that are going to make or break your company and bring more buyers or bring more customers or bring more fans to the arena. So the similarities between athletes and, and salespeople, it's, it's crazy. And, and salespeople have this, there's this kind of notion that within organizations and it's, it's gone a lot better. Um, but there's still that idea that you can kind of keep stepping on salespeople Mm -hmm. as a way to be, if we're behind target, we put pressure on the sales team to make them go. Um, and that's not necessarily the the best way to to achieve the results that you're looking for. So some of the things that you can do is monitor and track and, and, and use mental health for each of the people within your organization. Use that as a metric that you track. You track everything else, whether it's call set, sales, deals won, like demos booked, all of these metrics that you're tracking on a daily basis of a salesperson all stem back to what type of mental state they're in. Um, If they're confident, if they're feeling good, they're positive, it's going to improve those metrics. So sales teams love to measure everything, but they don't measure the most important driving factor, which is usually mental health. Um, So that's one thing. Start understanding that this is an area that is being completely overlooked. And we talked about it in the car over. It was... Mm -hmm. It was companies have become so obsessed with how do we increase retention because it's a huge issue of people leaving companies after two, three years, even even less. And so they're doing things like snacks in the office, lunches, like work from home days, unlimited vacation. This is big within all of the, the, the software companies. Um, and what they don't realize is a lot of that those those perks that they're giving are actually perks to help an employee's mental health. So when you think about, oh, you have work from home days, um, someone that's commuting from Richmond Hill down to the city every day, they're usually starting their day off with a 90-minute commute in traffic, a stressful environment, and then you expect them to work at top performance all, all day and then go home, spend another 90 minutes in traffic. And it's it's not realistic. So having things like a work from home day gives employees the opportunity to, to reset, to, to not focus on putting on that work self. If they still have to do that, if you're, if you're not there yet in terms of having those vulnerable conversations, but it takes a lot of work and pressure and, and it's a small thing that you can do to really help people manage and start to understand the awareness around mental health, because that's the big piece is people don't necessarily aren't necessarily aware of how much the mental health fluctuates on a daily basis. Right. And uh, that's bringing up, because I know you've spoken about the impact, you know, when one person in a, on a team starts to slip or starts to be unhelpful or negative, I guess, how that impacts everyone else. And sort of what's the difference between, or I'm curious, the impact of a negative person on a team versus the impact of a positive person on the team. So does a positive person pull everyone up as much as a negative person pulls everyone down? Uh, Maybe it's not fair to say a negative person, but someone who's experiencing a rough day or week or whatever. Mm -hmm. And how are those things maybe addressed now or how could they be addressed better by a more open, vulnerable scenario? Yeah. Like, like I, I don't think a lot of, testing has been has has been done on that area you still talk to sales managers sales leaders all of the time and they say like my sales team is in, is in a rut like i just don't know why like i don't know how to get them back right and so, what is what is a rut 
like what would that look like in a sales team like not booking deals or something yeah or? like not booking deals or like your but like behind on your forecast right, so sales right, right. sales teams really like to forecast whether like if you have a monthly target you usually break it down by days so on you're usually <laughs> pacing to be like um on day 15 you right. should be at x number to ensure that you are quote-unquote pacing right to hit your target just constant scrutiny eh? constant scrutiny oh, and it's smokes, it's yeah. it's crazy that like i said these metrics that are being so closely watched right. no one is actually watching the most important metric in my opinion which is the the mental state of their their sales force right um so sorry i interrupted you we're you were answering the question around the difference between someone who's in a rough place versus a good place and how that impacts the team uh, and how those things aren't really looked at yeah versus everything else yeah so it's it's interesting because there's a lot of um psychology behind just human nature and um we have a, a tendency for emotions to be contagious and and we like to mimic the the people that we're interacting with so if you're speaking to someone and they're smiling we're more likely to smile as well right because we want to mimic the person that it's a way to kind of show that like get someone to like you um so usually what I've found in sales teams is, and the more I sort of learn learn about mental health and how it's impacting cultures, is there's a lot of negative events that can take place throughout a typical day in sales. And usually these events will be internal, where as they start to build up, whether you get objections, deals falling through, whatever they may be, um, they become internalized at first where the rep will might be quieter than usual, might be less productive in terms of the, the basic activities that they'd be doing. Um, but if these events is sort of these negative events keep building up, there's a tendency for these emotions to switch from internal to external where you start complaining to your peers at work. You might be texting your group chat. You might be, showing all sorts of emotions and because of how frustrated you just can't keep these emotions internal anymore mm -hmm. and as a result that one person that is having a bad mental health day because they didn't know how to sort of catch it early or that, that vulnerability and that trust to talk about what happened at the start of the day wasn't there i i look at it like a bit of a, a virus it's just exploding and then mm -hmm. it starts spreading to everyone on the team where you start talking negatively. Oh, I'm, I just can't get a break. These deals aren't closing. It's it's I'm so bad at sales, or it's the bad time of the month. And it might be something you say passively, but that is going to impact the person sitting next to you or, or or your peers because once something bad goes wrong for them, they're going to want to mimic your actions or they're looking for validation as to why things aren't going the right way. Right. So then they'll start saying, "Oh, it's just a bad time of the month. Oh, the product's broken." Or all of these different things that are just completely false. It, it's, it's that confirmation bias that everyone starts looking for these negative ideas and these negative reasons as to why things aren't working when it's like a two-sided effect of, one, you're mimicking each other of, of, of being negative, and two, you're looking for confirmation bias amongst all of the other negative things to be like, this is why these bad things are happening. I need to understand why I'm doing poorly. This is why. And it's because Sally's doing bad or Johnny's doing bad. Right. Um, so it's that, that roller coaster that people talk about in sales. When you're in that rut, you're in that downturn. It's that negativity bias of pulling everyone on the team, pulling each other down. And it ultimately stems from people not being able to be vulnerable with each other and, and talk about, yeah. the 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 actual things that are going on internally with anxiety stress depression as a, the pressure associated with with being in sales and um how would or are there any examples so i mean you give the example of calling uh your former boss or whatever and being able to express that you need a mental health day um how do these things start to be implemented maybe or what would it look like for someone to, and I assume this doesn't happen often, uh, but maybe as things change and as solutions 
become available to sales teams or to the workplace in general or to people in general, you know, how do we acknowledge our pain or suffering or problems? How do we become okay with it personally and then say it to a colleague or say it to a boss and then have them be compassionate somewhat and then turn that around to, I don't know, create a different outcome? Or how would have you seen that happen in sales teams or in the workplace? If not, how can it happen? I don't know. I'm just trying to think of what would be the alternative scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it there there are definitely things that you can do throughout throughout the day. Like I know one one practice we had was having giving um, employees and, and and sales reps the opportunity to to go to the gym in the middle of the day um, as a way to kind of get those endorphins flowing, take a step back. That yeah. was that was a big thing, but. Did anyone actually do it? Oh yeah, yeah. Every, everyone Amazing. did, and it became wow. this little bonding thing where we cool. all go together as a team at lunch yeah. to go to the gym, and then we'd come back refocused and wow. and all that great stuff. That's awesome. Um, ultimately, my my perspective on it, and again, it's it's tough. I know we've had this conversation before, where it's it's tough to know what's what works, and I think we're both on a mission to to figure it out because um, no one's talking about mental health, so it's tough to really know. Um, my personal thought and what I'm excited to start testing through sales and mental health workshops and, 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 and that whole avenue is I think it starts from day one. I've haven't heard of a single sales organization or a single sales team that when a, just in general, even any marketing product, whatever their onboarding process. Um, if you start with day one, having a, two-hour training session like you would on all of the other skills that you need that addresses mental health and um this is what's gonna ha- this is what you can expect in the role here are some some of, some of the warning signs and just starting right out of the gate by having that idea of we acknowledge that this is happens in the role there's no stigma around it automatically that rep knows or that 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 employee knows from day one that it's okay to talk about mental health. It's okay to say that I'm stressed or having a bad day or anxious day, whatever. And, and the company is providing those, those skills to, to help the person manage that effectively, but as well, because it's being talked about internally at the, the organization, that support network of employees, everyone can help in, in, in some way or the other. So I think that's, that's one big piece. Um, to, to helping is 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 the onboarding is the onboarding and starting it and then I think the second big piece was to is to have a defined point of contact that people understand when I'm anxious or I'm feeling stressed this is the person that that I can go to um, whether that person is HR whether that person is a sales manager or sales director or or, or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a sales director and a sales manager, they're also going to have stressful days, so they need to have someone to go to. Right. But having that that point of contact in place to through that onboarding process, saying when you're experiencing some of these feelings, it's here's who you can talk to specifically, and they're going to be able to help you through it. That's it's um, interesting to hear you say that uh, the onboarding process because I was speaking to a potential client. And they mentioned when they are onboarding people, they are telling them that they have mental health support and et cetera, and that it's taken seriously at the company. And they said to me, whenever I say this to people, they're surprised. uh, And they say, wow, I've never heard any employer ever say that before. And I can imagine how nice that is for people. Um, and I guess maybe it is happening in, I don't even know, I, I don't want to generalize, but I was I was going to say maybe it's happening more often. And then the next thought was, oh, well, maybe not. Actually, it's just that I'm talking to maybe potential clients that are open to this kind of stuff, which is why it might be on their radar. So I don't know how much it actually happens. And I'm curious maybe what you think about how much of it is lip service Um and how much of it actually happens. So uh, another person I speak to um, often about these things, 
uh, in the uh, diversity and inclusion space say, you know, a lot of big corps, they just say they're doing the training or they say they care about it to check it off the te- you know the checkbox but they're not actually really doing anything mm-hmm. um, or maybe they are but it's not actually taken seriously so do you see a disconnect between what maybe companies are saying or thinking and actually what they're doing um, and then yeah and then what's the next step from that onboard process to you the other thing you said was um, the system or having having it clear who you go to talk mm-hmm. to and that kind of stuff. Um, maybe how does that play out um, through the course of a day? Or maybe you can run us through that, the uh, up and down scale mm-hmm. you had of, of a someone's day and then the evening too, because that, that was really interesting and important. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of different different pieces to talk about there. Um, I think the the primary one being um, I think most organizations are not, how to put this correctly, they're not looking and analyzing and, and, and understanding the symptoms of, of mental health effectively, um, or, or declining mental health effectively, especially, especially when, when someone is in that internal phase, when they might be having an anxiety attack or feeling heightened levels of stress or pressure or, or, or just not feeling themselves. Um, at that stage, individuals tend to have it internal and they're, and they're lost in their, in, in their thoughts. Um, at least that's what I've experienced myself quite, quite a bit. And it's really, as a result, it's hard to be productive at, at, when when things like this is thing, things like this is uh, are happening, so whether you're not making as many calls, or you're not as confident, or you're not as positive when you're speaking to different clients, um, all of these i these these aspects start to impact your performance. And I've found that to to a certain extent, it is it is lip service to to um, that organizations have because when these performance numbers start to dip, whether it's less deals closed, less calls being made. Um, what tends to happen is it tends to become the, becomes the, the, the rep's fault. So they're not making as many calls. They're not closing as many deals. They're quieter. Um, they're, they're more negative. And as a result, it's, it's the rep's fault when, when in turn, in my opinion, these are all symptoms of declining mental health. And, and that's when it's in that internal phase. So I think something that organizations can do to get a little better is, is training the managers and training um, just employees that this, that, this stuff is, that this stuff is happening. And when you see that person that's normally loud, energetic, when you see them not being themselves before they start being really explosive and, and contagious negative emotions – having that conversation is, Hey, like what's, what's up today? Like, I'm like, you're not, you don't seem like yourself, like what's going on. And it usually gets the person to open up and address the issue before it gets really bad. Um, so I think that's the big thing is, is misdiagnosing symptoms <laughs> of like declining mental health. And instead companies are saying it's not mental health or unaware that it's mental health. And it's just, this person's lazy. This person is just not a good employee. Like, what are we doing? Um, which, in most of the cases, it's not. It's not actually true. Yeah. Wow. Um, misdiagnosing. That's an interesting. Or misperceiving. It's all. No, it's all, but it's, it's all perspective. Yeah. Well, it is a misdiagnosis in some ways too, uh, for sure. And I. That's. I think it's a a really helpful way to look at it because I think, a lot of times. Maybe it's one, it's lack of awareness, lack of motivation, and maybe lack of care in some sense. But when companies or groups of people or individuals are trying to understand a situation that might be problematic, the diagnosis of the problem is really important because if you misdiagnose it, then you, the solutions you come up with are maybe unhelpful. Um, so maybe one example of that, and this is just hypothesizing, when companies do the catered lunches or the work from home or whatnot, they're noticing 
maybe a problem of stress or something. So maybe their perception of the problem isn't as thorough as it could be, and which means their diagnosis and their prescription, so to speak, is also maybe mm, not aligned effectively. Um, I don't know. So you sort of said they might think, oh, it's the rep's fault or they're not a good employee, et cetera, when really you also said that it's more the external or the combination of all these different things happening. And yeah. how would you go from the diagnosis to the prescription, so to speak? Yeah, well, I, th- I think I think a lot of companies are um, unintentionally doing things to create a more supportive mental health space. Mm-hmm. Um, like these work from home days and limited vacation, like catered lunches, lunches, all these, all of these ideas. Um, from my opinion of it is the, the vast majority of organizations are, are including the, these things because they want to make it fun. They want to make a motivate, motivated workplace. Here's what all of these companies are doing to make it fun and increase retention and all these, right. and all these things. And, that's the surface level idea of, of what's happening there. And I think a lot of these these processes or these these positive things that, that the organizations are doing, like I said, they, they all stem back to that personal level of, of helping, um, helping individuals manage their mental health, though they don't know they're doing it intentionally. Um, like a catered lunch is especially someone that's, extroverted um if they're having a bad day extroverts tend to get their energy from interacting with people so if they've been making calls all morning and getting no 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 no, or no one's answering their mental health is going to be in a low um if they have a catered lunch on that day that's an easy way for them to to recharge and the second half of the day is 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 going to put them in a good good place to to perform a lot better because they're going to have that dedicated time that the company has unintentionally created where they can recharge have some laughs with friends talk about what's going on and 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 open up to to their colleagues and it's an easy way for them to recharge so this idea of fun motivated like the kind of tech startup companies that they're all doing all these things ping pong tables ping pong tables like that's another thing um exercising and like i said going to the gym is an easy way to release endorphins which helps with stress um so having two games of ping pong in the middle of the day right. is fun, but in reality, it's helping the mental health. Um, so it's interesting. All these little things are, are tying back into not a fun environment, but actually a more conducive, positive mental health space. Right. And how I'm trying to think of some of the challenge. So in our discussions with employers and et cetera, there's a, I think there's a bit of a conceptualizing and operational challenge of how do we understand the need of the employer um, to maybe retention, uh, sick days, absenteeism or presenteeism and all those things. So how do we, again, it's about the the diagnosis or the perception of the problem. How do we understand it to a finite level of sales guy hangs up after the 20th rejection and then you know the next 10 actions that person takes and then how do we create a solution to solve it um i don't know i guess that's the answer we're trying to solve and the more articulate or the better we can understand it and you also said um you said the longer an idea stays in someone's head or without it being articulated chances are the less likely it is to happen Mm -hmm. so how do we sort of connect all those dots and and you know you you maybe you're a sales manager and you see a problem arising in a day what is the solution or is it i don't know i don't know i'm thinking out loud totally and yeah yeah like i think again i think it all goes back to um the idea of vulnerability and um, having more conversations around the fact that it's okay to not be okay every single day, like every minute of every waking second. Right. Like you're not going to be okay and it's, that's okay. 
Um, so I think it starts with the managers, the coaches, the directors of sales. I think it starts with them understanding that if I want to get the most from my team, I want to build that solid trust amongst my team members. It starts with me opening up about the challenges I have right. on, on a daily basis. I was a friend of mine. Um, she's, she's working at an advertising agency and she was saying that it completely shifted. Her manager noticed that she was being quiet, quieter than usual, um, pulled her aside and rather than starting the conversation with, Hey, what's, what's wrong with you? It's been like, Hey, like I noticed you've been a little off. Um, it sounds similar to the time. And he went into a story about how he was struggling with mental health and how that changed and really broke down the barrier of my friend feeling, yeah, like Mm -hmm. it's okay. Like my boss and my manager is, is like, I can relate to this story. And, opened up about what was going on and, and sort of the stresses that she was de- dealing with, whether it was in the workplace or external. It's, it, it, it all, it all stems back to that idea of vulnerability. And if you think about any situation, like next time you ha- you're having a bad day and you're going to get your, your afternoon coffee, think about how different the person at the cashier would, would respond if they said, how's your day going? And rather than putting up a, a strong face of it's fine, like we love that word. It's fine. You were, you actually had a genuine response and said, "Ah, it's not going so well." Um, like my dog's really sick at the at the vet. Like that cashier, it's gonna shatter that monotonous interaction mm-hmm. that they're they're having, and they will genuinely probably ask, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." Like maybe give you a free coffee just to to help you out. People want to help each other, but it's really tough to help when we all have these 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 barriers set up and we're afraid to be vulnerable even as strangers um and just breaking down that that barrier is like a very easy way to to like i said when when i was having cancer i told everybody everything that i was feeling yeah and as a result like all these people are trying to help me and it was like so awesome maybe that doesn't work for everyone but it was yeah. just like it was great i had people looking after me and like trying to help me get back on my feet and and, and got me back on my feet way quicker than if i was going through that battle on on my own Awesome. Wow. So, okay, a bunch of things you said that I want to try to remember to ask about. Number one was, it's funny, you said, oh, I'm fine. Um, I literally posted for my first post in two weeks after my break. Uh, the Do you know what the acronym for fine is? Have you heard it before? Yeah, like I think they had it in Italian Job, that movie way back in the day. It was like oh, frantic, no insecure, Ooh. neurotic and emotional emotional that's awesome so the the way i heard it that's amazing you pulled that one out wow wow the yeah that was impressive the way that i've heard it is fucked up neuro or insecure neurotic and emotional so same thing actually frantic is probably a better word to use rather than swearing um and yeah you know we all walk around saying i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine when really we're not fine all the time as you said and the other thing which is quite insightful that you said, because this actually has happens to me sometimes. Um, and this bloody thing keeps going out. Anyway, um, I so I have the Tim Hortons app on my phone. Mm-hmm. So I do the app order, which means I don't have to wait in line and et cetera. But what that does is it, I never have any human interaction when I go into the coffee shop. Um, and there are times where I purposely won't order through the app because I want to just go and say hello to the coffee person. I wonder if that's connected to the state of my mental health. I don't know, but I'll start thinking or reflecting on that. But it's funny because sometimes when there's one woman in particular at the one near my house who I guess we have somewhat of a friendship going on, and when I don't order, she always asks me, oh, you didn't order through the app. You know, what are you doing here? And I go, oh, I just wanted some human interaction, basically. Um, so I'm in some sense, I'm aware of that. But I think a lot of people, as you say, they on, they're on autopilot in some sense. So they're on their break. They're wandering over to get their afternoon coffee and maybe a little bit more awareness and vulnerability would allow them to say, oh, yeah, I'm having the 
crap day or whatever. And then you said, also, people do want to be nice or they are. People want to help. Yeah, they people do. People love they helping do. people. Yeah. And, and it's not only do you get to get a chance to help someone, but it makes you feel good and it actually helps your own mental health. But going back to your, your point of, of I'm fine, um, I'm not a I, – I use LinkedIn. I'm not a big – I'm not active on Facebook. I can't stand Instagram. But I think this explosion of social media is – contributing to this idea that it's not okay it's not okay to be not okay right right. (laughs) and and it's this idea that i have to present myself in every waking moment as this perfect human being these expectations that i have the perfect life i have the perfect friends i have the perfect relationship with my girlfriend or or wife or, or whoever it might be and it's totally unrealistic but it's adding to this idea that and 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 adding to this idea that people can't be vulnerable because they they need to create this facade and this perfect life that is just it's like internally it's it's not helping their mental health at all it's 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 exhausting it's exhausting it's hurting yeah wow um maybe I want the other last thing, what you were saying before about being in the hospital. So I know you mentioned it earlier, but prior to the diagnosis and et cetera, mm-hmm. were you open about your mental health or what was your experience, um, I guess, with mental health and how did it change or did it not change? And that yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, th- I think, I think in general, I was probably more open about mental health than the normal person. Um, I like to, to be self-aware of how my actions impact others. And I think that just stems from working in sales for so long. I'm mm-hmm. consistently trying to analyze what I'm saying, how I'm behaving, what I'm doing, how is that impacting a customer or, or someone that I'm speaking to? Um, as a result, that made me super self-aware of my actions, which is why I think I was able to identify minor right. physical discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a, as a result, like the big thing for me that I've always struggled with is I am just probably one of the worst sleepers, you know, like, I've tried, I've tried everything and anything and, and uh, under the blue to to sleep better, and I know that contributes poorly to declining my mental health if I get multiple nights of bad sleep. Um, but I think I, the, the 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 key piece, the key moment when I started to become more aware of um, more aware of my mental health was uh, the first sales job I was working at was one of those boiler room intense. You had to make two hundred dollars a day two and a half hours of, of talk time. It was a sink or swim environment. It was a revol- revolving door. There were salespeople coming in and out, in and out. If they weren't hitting the numbers, they're gone. It was just the, the cl- and I'm happy that this doesn't happen anymore. Like it, it's not the environments that they create, but um, as you can imagine, an environment like that is extremely stressful. Um, so, there were nights when I wasn't sleeping. I was anxious. I'm like, how am I going to afford rent? Um, I'm going to run out. Of, I'm going to run out of money. Like I'm going to be on the street and all of this, like that path that you go down mm-hmm. when you're having this an anxiety attack that spirals out of control. One night that actually put me in the hospital where it had to go. And because I thought my heart was going to explode when in fact it was the first time I had an anxiety a- attack and it happened in the middle of the night and, um, went to see my doctor after that and they pr- prescribed me some some anti-anxiety me- medicine um so i was on that for about a month a month and a half and i didn't like how it feel how, how it made how it made me feel because um in sales I, I really enjoyed being in tune with my emotions so if i something did make me upset or something made me happy i needed to know that so that i could better understand the emotions that the the customer was feeling mm-hmm. um so after about a month and a half on, um, I can't remember what it was that I was, that I was taking, but I, I said, this isn't for me. And I know it helps a lot of people. And I think um, anti-depression and anxiety is, medicine is really important for, for people to be understand that that's an option. Um, 
but I went nuts. I'm I'm addicted to learning, and I started just reading everything and anything about mental health, whether it's to help me sleep, whether it's meditation practices, mindfulness, um, specific exercises, working out, all, all anything that I just wanted to educate myself as best as possible. And I started to look at my anxiety as as not a weakness, but as a strength. It just meant meant that I was hyper in tune to everything that was going on internally and externally around me um so used it as like a viewed it as a superpower that was out of control so i needed to learn more about how to get it in control and what i can do to to live with it um but also experience the the benefits of of having a hyperactive analytical (laughs) anxious mind yeah yeah that's really cool um it's nice i always like knowing people and hearing this i don't know if the camera's working right now but as you were explaining that the sort of joy on your face and the expression of i guess the happiness or or whatever it is that comes from learning and doing things that you love and exploring things that you love um is quite lovely to see um it's too bad people listening can't see your <laughs> expressions right now. But um, so so you sort of had this, I guess, propensity or quality to explore and to learn and et cetera, which is probably, it seems that it's consistent or common with people that are extra sensitive or that are really aware is that there's a propensity for exploration maybe and curiosity and all those other things. But then again, as you mentioned, it comes with that, I don't know, co-pilot of (laughs) maybe sensitivity or propensity for emotional Mm -hmm. imbalance or something like that. I don't really know. Well, I think the, I think the biggest thing, if you are a hypersensitive person, um, if you think about, food apps in general um people that might have ibs or What's celi- uh, irritable bowel, yeah. bowel syndrome or um, celiac disease like they're closely monitoring and measuring what's impacting their right. their digestion right. um so if you have a hypersensitive mind it's really important to be tracking and be able to measure what's impacting your your state of mind um last two three months i had a really bad bout of poor sleep and i realized that i couldn't figure out what was impacting like what would mean i would have a good sleep and would mean i'd have a bad sleep so i created this like excel document this like google sheets and i just had all of these crazy different factors that would play in that 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 play into what I thought would mean I have a better sleep versus a worse sleep. Mm -hmm. So similar to someone that's like watching their diet and what goes into their body. I'm currently measuring things like what's the level of energy I have going to sleep? When, what time was my last coffee? Did I read before bed? If I, if so, what did I read? Did I take any medication? Whether it's a Tylenol or muscle relaxer, did I meditate? Um, when was my last meal? Um, I've dabbled a little bit in cannabis. What ty- what strain of cannabis mm-hmm. is was uh, am I using? And for me personally, it's actually no cannabis is the best. Um, and it's it, it's crazy. Now that I've been doing this for like two or three months now, I've captured all of this data that I can actually start to see what helps me get to sleep. And any hypersensitive mind should kind of it's. It, because you're always trying to figure out what's working and not working. If you're not tracking it in some way, it's, it's really tough to understand because it's your mind's always going, going nuts. Yeah. My mind's going nuts thinking about that as you explain it, but that would be some be, and it's going nuts because that would be something that would be really helpful for me. Um, and so I'm curious out of my own curiosity, really, how consistent have you been with that tracking? And then, because this is where I think a lot of people struggle, and me in particular, is, okay, I'm aware of this. I can see some of the signs. But to actually embody that behavior change is really tough. Um, And maybe that's an excuse that I make for myself sometimes, which it most certainly is. And then as I 
make that excuse right now. There's the little voice in my head saying, well, then you just start with one tiny little baby step, um, which when it comes to mental health, that's what's got me to where I am today. But anyhow, yeah. So have you, how consistent have you been tracking it? And then how, what's your experience with implementing your observations or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, I've been very consistent. I think over the last three months, I may have missed four days, four or five days. Amazing. So like you track, like you said, you track coffee, what you're eating. Time of last coffee. Um, Did I work out during the day? Did I take any meditate? Did I take any medication? Did I have tea before bed? If I read, how much reading did I do before bed? Um, And what were you reading? I know Tim Ferriss, if anyone knows who that is, he's a pretty, I don't know, inspiring human being, I guess, or impressive maybe is a better word. Because uh, he says he doesn't read anything that is thought provoking before bed because it. So I, I noticed that as well. Like the so I have a, I have a meditation book that I'm reading that yeah. is usually the one that I would focus on reading before bed. Um, I also love reading sales books, and I I did notice through this process that if I was reading a sales book, it would give me all these ideas, and my brain would start revving up, mm-hmm. which made it harder to get to sleep. And I never would have been able to really figure that out if I wasn't doing this. Right. Um, so that does affect you that what you're reading. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Wow. Totally. Okay. Um, yeah. So working out the, what I ate, like the time last, I also built in, like, I know gratitude's a huge piece. Yeah. So part of it is, um, for me journaling, like I have like one cell where I just literally write every single thought in my brain until I <laughs> get it out. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. And then there's a piece where it's like three things you're grateful for, mm-hmm. um, to practice gratitude. So I have that built in as well. Um, so it's it's crazy. So I think in going back to your other question of, of implementing it, implementing or, yeah. it with anything like this, it's it kind of appear you have to find a greater sense of meaning in what you're doing that gets you really emotionally bought in. Mm-hmm. When you're making any sale, um, people make emotional decisions like that regardless of how anal- analytical you want to be, right. there's going to be an emotional component of, oh, this makes me look good in front of my boss, or, oh, this means I get more time with my kids, and w- whatever that may be. Same thing appeals to setting goals. So I know we just had a new year. Um, if you want to lose weight, so you're going to the gym every day, um, if your goal is just to lose weight, um, that's not a very sticky goal because it's very easy to justify your way when on those slow days or those days you don't want to go it's just like eh, i'm actually okay not losing weight or <laughs> story of my life <laughs> or, yeah. or what have you but if there's <laughs> if there's a greater goal to what you want to be able to do mm-hmm. like i want to be in shape i want to lose this weight so i can be more active with my kids um because they're playing tons of sports i want to like com- compete with them more right. and, and there's a deeper like emotional connection to your kids for me and, and the sleep sleep piece um, like I said, I had a really bad bout of like four or five days. I just wasn't sleeping and I'm trying to start all of these different ideas in this business and this consulting stuff and, and not being able to sleep was like just crushing my productivity. And for me personally, it's, these are things that I think are really important in the world, whether it's mental health and sales, helping growing start sales teams and startups, um, getting more people into tech sales, like all of these things that I'm working on are I'm really passionate about. So sleep is standing in the way of me achieving those goals or maximizing what I can do. So that was my deeper, it wasn't, oh, I just want to sleep better. That's easy to be like, screw it. My deeper, passionate, emotional thing is these things I want to exist in the world because I think they're going to help a lot of people. Um, means that I need to figure out this sleep thing as quickly as possible. And, and this was kind of what I found. Uh, and have you found it to be helpful or how are you using the data? And yeah, yeah, like, like it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a bit of a slow burn. Um, but it is interesting to see where, um, if you track, cause I track, I, I do it right when I wake up as well. I track things like my motivation level, what I thought my sleep quality was, um, how much energy I have, and those numbers are all like if you look at over the are you turning them into months, graphs and stuff? 
I, I look at it graphically, yeah. and you and you see them <laughs> trending upwards, which is which is interesting. There's mm-hmm. obviously, it's not cons- consistent. Like it's more of like thing of like the stock market where there's going to be ups and downs, ups ups and ups yeah, and downs. Yeah. But it like steadily it's, it's trending upwards. <laughs> yeah, which is cool. That is cool. Um, but again, that's, there's just that visual aspect to it of that reassurance to me personally that this is working like what i'm doing is helping and again without having insight into this into this process and of improving my sleep it like i never would have never would have figured this out cool well i think maybe we'll leave it at that i'm really inspired by that little last bit um is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think i know personally there's the voice in the back of my head saying, ah, oh, because of being disorganized this morning, this didn't go as smoothly. I didn't say this. I didn't say that. I didn't ask this. And all the critical judgment that's going on, um, it's not affecting my emotions, which is good, but it's there. So, again, everybody, I apologize for that and to you as well, Jeff, um, for getting off to a slow start. But that was really an awesome reminder and inspiration to sort of connect what it is we're trying to do to a deeper purpose and a deeper meaning and how that probably i think biologically slash psychologically does motivate us better um so thanks for that that was great yeah. and yeah and, and, there, and, and yeah thank thank you because i know this um like i love talking about mental health like i said it's it's something i'm passionate about and i think a lot of more needs to be done in this space um, but I know you're doing a lot of work within the, the mental health space with, with workplaces and, and schools across the GTA. I'm, I'm trying to do more work within sales and mental health. And yeah, I think it's important that if any of the people listening to this right now or listening to the podcast after, if they want to start the discussion internally within their, their organization and, and some of the things that we've talked about has resonated with them and they're just looking for a little help that by all means we're we're always open to to chatting more about this and and learning about how we can help you specifically cool and can you tell 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 the people where they can find you and contact you and your website and all that kind of stuff yeah so my website is topgunsales.co so there's no m on the end um so if you go to topgunsales.co that's that's where you can reach me and just my emails there you can schedule a call it's more than happy to chat more um, I'm going to be launching a mental health and sales blog um, in the next few weeks, which and I'm really is excited that on, about. Going to be on the website? Um, might be something slightly different, okay. but you'll be able to find information there. Um, I know you and I are are actively trying to figure out mm-hmm. how to make this mental health piece uh, work more effectively as well. So, um, cool. yeah, starts with me. If you want to reach out to Mike, it's another way to to, to get in touch. Right on. Okay. Well, uh, thanks, everybody. And often we do this sometimes, but Jeff, is there a song that you like that you want to play before we go, or should we just put the radio back on? It, it's up to you. I may as well just do the, the radio. I don't have anything off the, okay, cool. the top um, of my head. Here, I know what I'm going to play, an Outcast song, uh, which I really like. Um, so anyhow, everybody, um, I hope it's official because otherwise it's going to sound pretty bad. But, yes, please um, do get in touch and if you have any questions and et cetera. And otherwise, Happy New Year. Have a good day. Yeah, Happy New Year. All those other kind of things.